Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. Hi, I'm Allison Langer. I'm Zaire. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit sheet. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. So this is the sixth episode in a 10-part series inspired by the people I taught memoir writing in a men's prison. This series will bring you stories written by my former memoir students, as well as formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated people from around the United States. Their experiences and voices, like those of many incarcerated people, are often marginalized and unheard. To help us get this right, Zaire will be contributing his feedback and commentary throughout the series as co-host, along with Andrea and me. Zaire is a poet, musician, actor and teaching artist who teaches writing and poetry in school and juvenile detention facilities. Zaire has also lent us music for this series. Zaire, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I want to say something before we continue. We want to be respectful of those who have been personally affected by violence. We don't mean to sensationalize crime or sensationalize someone who breaks the law. Instead, we want to share stories because we believe that stories lead to understanding. And if this world needs anything right now, it is understanding. On episode 115, which was the first episode in this series, I went into detail about my motivation and hope for airing these stories. I told the story of meeting Too Tall and some of the other men you will hear from in the series. Please go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. On this episode, we have a story written and read by Corey Devin Arthur, a journalist inside Fishkill Correctional Facility. Corey submitted his essay through an angel named Sarah Holtz from the Columbia Journalism Review. Columbia Journalism Review works on Empowerment Avenue, a collective of writers on the inside. You can read about them at cjr.org. And we'll also have a link on our show notes. Corey Devin Arthur was born in Brooklyn in 1977 and has been incarcerated since 1997. He has earned a legal research certification and studied through Rising Hope and Nyack College. Corey is a former chairman of the Inmate Liaison Committee at Fishkill Correctional Facility in New York State. He's a proud member of Empowerment Avenue, a collective of incarcerated writers, and he is also passionate about drawing and is currently working on a trilogy of short stories. Nice. He's a huge writer. Yes, yeah, so he writes a lot for the um, Marshall Project. So you can also go there and see other essays he's written. He's pretty prolific and super smart and talented. What is the Marshall Project? They help to bring truth to the prison system, the criminal justice system, to get to know the people behind them. The Marshall Project is a nonpartisan, nonprofit news organization that seeks to create and sustain a sense of national urgency about the U.S. criminal justice system. I mean, they're everything that we're about, too, but they're doing it bigger. 
Um, they have an impact on the system through journalism, and they say rendering it more fair, effective, transparent, and humane. That's their goal. That's their mission. So basically, their thing is truth and journalism about the criminal justice system. All right, cool. Back with Corey's story after the break. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. We're back. This is Andrea Askowitz, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Here's Corey Devin Arthur reading his story, My Passion, My Pen. Hello, this is a prepaid call from an inmate at a corrections institution. To accept this call, press zero. I battle my demons on paper. Within the folds of the pages, my pen gives me permission to be extraordinary. From my mother's womb came a son that grew black in the darkness. In those shadowy years, I was a boy figure of ambition and juvenile delinquency. It was never my intent to be a bad son. It didn't occur to me then that to be a thug demanded I discard the hopes and pleas of my mother. Daily, I shattered my mother's heart into a million pieces again and again. At first, the calls would come from school. In 1984, my elementary school administrators asked my mother to explain why her firstborn son insisted on disrupting the learning process by terrorizing the entire school. Her embarrassment was only surpassed by her bewilderment. She didn't know why I fought every other day or why I spent my school day on Brooklyn street corners where older kids taught me how to shoot dice and sell drugs. What does she know about a fatherless young black adolescent trying to forge his identity alongside all the thugs he called family? I cannot articulate to her why I felt the need to do these things, so I gave her the good of my soul in the form of my written words. I wrote these incredible poems and letters of affection to her. Here's one of them. Dear Mommy, I love you so much. I saw you crying last night before I went to bed. I'm sorry I made the magic fall from your eyes. Tears are important. They have special powers. They should never be thrown away on just anyone. See, Mommy, I remember what you told me. I saved the tissue you used to wipe your tears away. I'll hold it for you in case you need them later. I'm sorry the paper is so messy. I know how much you want me to write neither. I gave you some of my tears to make up for the ones you used on me being bad. I won't be bad anymore, I promise. If I do that and we stop crying and save our tears, then we could be rich and you won't have to work hard anymore. I love you, Mommy. For me, Corey. These writings were who I wanted her to see, and I felt powerful when I affected her so profoundly. 
unfortunately, these writings and the good in me only felt real and valuable in front of her eyes. This awareness of power corrupted me to deeper depths of mischief instead of inciting a desire to please her. I calculated my misadventures with strategically well-placed, thought-out love notes to neutralize the eventual fallout from my criminal exploits. Besides cutting school to pursue a street-corner education, I would routinely sneak out the house during the most ungodly hours of the night. In the night, illuminated by the stars, my friends and I did our best dirty work. We sold drugs. We also used the cover of the night to break into any business establishment that possessed the trimmings and trappings of a bunch of nine-year-olds gone rogue. The toy and candy stores never stood a chance. We wiped them clean. It was sweet. And in time, my mother came to see me for what I was, a con artist with a gift for writing and betraying the first woman to ever love him. I was nine years old at the beginning of the school year, November 1988. That morning, I woke up from a dream of mischief and a plan to enact my scheme. It started with a dice game called CeeLo I learned the day before. I had the hottest dice throwing hand at the time. We played in the girls' bathroom during recess. When the money was flowing, several or more of the fellas would meet in the bathroom to gamble. The stakes had grown beyond just lunch money. We took to stealing money from our parents and committing other crimes, like selling loose cigarettes, weed, and crack. When the fast life wasn't bringing in the cash fast enough, we liberated money and other valuables from the kids who lived in the neighboring hoods. All for an opportunity to shake those three bones. Before leaving for school that morning, I wrote my mother a four-page love letter and stuffed ten one-dollar bills between the trifold pages. I left the envelope in her pocketbook. I routinely did this type of thing. In hindsight, I suspect I knew things were not going to go well for me that day. At lunch, the fellas and I met up in the girls' bathroom. Nine of us started. Within ten minutes, I broke in seven of them. It came down to me and another kid. It wasn't even close. With his pockets flipped out like rabbit ears, he betted double or nothing that I could not afford him better in three rows. Four, five, six. I had cracked on my second throw. We asked betted. He was broke. As a result, I took all his clothes, save his underwear and socks. When recess was over, the teachers demanded to know where his clothes were. He told on me. A search was conducted of me and my belongings. An interrogation by the principal followed. The police and our parents were called in. I took my weapon that night like a man. My skin had grown from tender to tough in the darkness of my bad behavior. I didn't shed a tear. I wanted to, but my tears got lost somewhere in my mother's shower and the lashes being laid upon me. Later that night, I found my tears. It was 11.30 p.m. I decided to sneak out of our one-bedroom apartment for another round of mischief. My mother was in the bathroom. It was the best time to go. As I tiptoed past the bathroom door, I heard my mother crying. I stopped and looked through a thin crack in the bathroom door and saw my mother reading the note I had written her that morning. The ten one-dollar bills were scattered on the bathroom floor. In that moment, the boy who wrote her that letter made a stand against the boy that caused her those tears. I opened the bathroom door and said, Ma, just leave me alone, Corey. A defeated and broken mother said to her son, There weren't any words I could say, so I didn't speak, nor did I leave. 
Instead, I walked over to the toilet where she sat. I sat on the floor between her legs and on top of the ten one dollar bills. I then took the letter and began reading it to her. Dear Mommy, I love you so much. Mommy, I know how much you love me because you are always working so hard to make the money. I've been working hard too. See, Mommy, I made ten dollars for you. Now you won't have to work so hard for us to have stuff, and you can buy something nice for yourself too. I promise to be good from now on and help you make some money. We don't need a daddy or whoever he's supposed to be. If we save enough of our tears and make enough money, then you can be happy all the time. I love you, Mommy. For me, Corey. I read my words to her, and she lay her head on top of mine. It was one of the few moments in my wayward childhood that the person I was as a writer became who I was in reality. Read it to me again, my mother said softly. Okay, mommy, I said. We both fell back into a time before I became lost to her. I read and reread my words to her over and over again. I kept reading until our fallen tears on the four unfolded pages had made the words unreadable. I then neither one of us needed the words. Thirty-three years later, I found myself in a cell not too much bigger than the bathroom where I read my mother that four-page letter. Throughout the years, I've continued to slay the monster with other letters. Within the fold of those pages, I kept my promise to that little boy. With my pen, I continue to be extraordinary. Wow. This time I really heard the narrator's sorrow that he really hurt his mom and he knows it. I was very intrigued by how he keeps going back to the writer boy he was and still is. There was this one line that I thought was so beautiful at the end. It was like he said when he was in the bathroom with his mom and sitting on top of the $10 bills, he was reading the letter he had written that morning. And he said it was like for a few minutes, the writer kid and the real kid were the same. Like he was actually that real extraordinary kid that his mom saw in him. It's so beautiful because he also knows that he's a con artist. He, he even said that early in the, in the um, story. But I never mm-hmm. lost doubt that he really did want to be a good kid. I felt the tug from the streets and the situation to fit in and to be what he felt good at, which was a con artist. And then what he felt like he was failing at. And it just was so universal to me that in, in, in a very specific way. And we talk about that all the time. Like this is a very specific story, but it's very universal. And I think everybody can understand. We do have ideas about who we want to be but we don't always show it. And his awareness of that is the story here. Things that stood out to me were as writers, you know, we write about things that are important to us, but it's when we, when we read those things out loud that you can tell how important for one, and you can tell whether or not you're still dealing with it. For me, I know whenever I'm reading something I I write, I only sound nervous if it's something I'm still dealing with. And that's something you could hear in his voice throughout the entirety of him reading. 
you could tell that it was something that he, you know, he thinks about daily, constantly. It's something that still weighs on him. And that's where the most honest work comes from. Do you mean like you you think you see that this narrator is still reconciling the writer kid and the real kid? Yeah. Disappointing yeah. his mom, I feel like. He's still yeah. trying to figure out like how he could have let that happen. You know, because he sounded like he he could have had a really good trajectory, but then some things went wrong and it just put an end to that. I was specifically drawn in to the point where when he takes all those, that guy's clothes and I'm thinking, well, if my son did that, I would have gotten a phone call, but they would not have called the police. Oh, that hit me really, really strongly about the difference in privilege and bringing the cops in and how that may have changed him. Now, I know from experience from teaching these guys, a lot of them will say they needed confinement for a short period to get their shit together, to really understand what was going on. It's it's unfortunate that our prison system isn't more of a rehabilitation system that where we help, we kind of deal with and then we send them back on their way. So what happens now is this guy's life is ruined when it really shouldn't be. And he'd be such an asset on the outside. So four years would have done the trick, but instead he's been in there 20 years already. Yeah, that is what I'm saying. I'm sorry, what, what, I feel like, um, I think I stepped on top of you and you were talking about how he's, you could hear in his voice, how he's still working out his shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's just something, you know, after, after hearing enough stories, you start to pick up on details in people's voices especially with certain parts of the story, like when he's talking about, he noticed, he recognized his, his talent for writing and he noticed it and began using it as uh, sort of like this buffer for when he knew he was going to mess up. I know that's something that I've definitely done in the past. Um, and I still do. I'm not even going to lie, but, <laughs> but you it's, write it's, love letters to the people you're about to hurt. I write to cushion the blow in case I hurt someone. Um, uh, but it's, it's a very honest way to be. It's very, it's very genuine. Um, and it's impressive. Uh, I mean, is it really that, uh, he, he notices this about himself. It's very self-aware and then going uh, further into it when, um, he comes to that reconciliation of, okay, this is what I've been doing in the past. This is what I need to do. And uh, becoming the person in the letters uh, is, a, is a moment that I think every, every writer who's written for long enough gets to at some point. It's like, okay, I write, I, I talk a good game. Let me, let me try and be it now. I don't think that we can underestimate the pull of the streets to some people and the the pain that they know they're causing. And that's tra trauma all in itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I know mean, Chris Wilson, who's in our second episode, he talks about in his book, The Master Plan, it tells a lot about his backstory and how he grew up and that he got made fun of if he wasn't fighting or tough. And if he wanted to study and learn, he got made fun of and bullied and beat up. I mean, it's it's really a thing. And and we think, oh, if they could only just not do that. Well, it's a little harder than it seems. Yeah, the um, the 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 aspects of where you're from influence you greatly. And when I say that, I mean he, the pull of the streets is a thing, but you it doesn't have to pull hard. That where he's from is his home. That's what you know. That's that's home. Uh, your actual house, when it comes to that situation, is 
Switzerland, if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky, your actual house is where, where you get a break from everything that's like directly outside of it. But most people aren't that lucky. You know, a lot of people, the house just emulates what's going on outside of it. I thought this narrator did a, did a good job. Um, I mean, he, his motivation for doing the stuff that he did was he was trying to make money so that his mom wouldn't have to work so hard. I mean, he said that a few times. I think they, some of these guys and, and people, young black men in general, from what I've heard from the stories, is they do feel a responsibility to the family because they do see their parents working so hard and they want to contribute. And I think it's beautiful. They really do stick together as a unit. And I, I do. I love that. But you could tell in this story, too, that the mom had even maybe progressed from just being mad at him to being sad. She just knew there was nothing else she could do. And she was sad and worried. And that broke my heart. Yeah. And it broke the narrator's heart, too. He saw that his mom was just kind of crushed. I mean, in, in a way. She loved him, it sounded like, and everything, but she just gave up. She threw her hands up. And I think, you know, he felt that. He tried to, from what it says in this story, from what I got, is that he really wanted to be good for her. But things happen. And he's still trying to slay the monster with his pen. And that, that goes back to, um, you know, I was talking about the fact that, you know, you can tell that he's, he's really still doing this. So it's still a it's still a, a daily battle and one that from appearances from what, what we just heard sounds like he's you know he's winning so that's good to read more Corey arthur get on the marshallproject.org there's a lot of really good essays that he's written so check them out cool thank you Corey, for sharing your story and thank you for listening In the next episode in the series, you will meet Dwayne Williams, who has been in prison since 1997. Dwayne started writing in 2015 and self-published his first ebook in May of 2020. Dwayne wants to see the world in a better place, and he believes through writing it can be done. Writing Class Radio is produced by Allison Langer, Zaire, me, Andrea Askowitz, and by Matt Kundal, Evan Serminski, and Courtney Fox at the Sound Off Media Company. Music by Zaire and Marnino Tucson. There's more Writing Class Radio on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, essays to study, and editing resources. If you love the lessons you get on each episode, you can get them all in one place on our three-part video series for just $50. Click video classes on our website. If you want to be a part of the movement that helps people better understand each other through storytelling, follow us on Patreon. For $10 a month, I will answer all your publishing questions. For $25 a month, you can join Allison's first draft weekly writers group where you write to a prompt and then share what you wrote. That meets every Tuesday from noon to one Eastern time. Go to patreon.com slash writing class radio. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 
What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.